welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. For today's episode, we want to once again address the experience of Black youth in care. Now you may be asking, but Shanice, I thought we already addressed this episode in which my response would be, although the theme may be the same, the experience from our guest are different. And this is such an important topic because of how overrepresented our community is. We want to talk about it and we plan to continue to do so until permanent change is made. We are incredibly lucky to be able to have youth from all walks of life come onto our show to share their experience in the system. We want to learn something vital from each of them. And today's conversation will be no different. In this episode, we have Troy Elliston. Troy Elliston is a former youth in care and self-identifies as a young Caribbean Canadian business professional and academic educator. He is currently working for RBC and he also plays multiple roles in helping build and strengthening his community. He is a youth advocate and Children's Aid Foundation ambassador, community mentor, academic tutor, poetic performer, and business professional. You are in for an amazing conversation and I'm so grateful to have you on board. So please help me in welcoming Troy Elliston. Introduce you, Troy Elliston. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. Um, I have been so incredibly excited to have you on. I am so grateful that you have agreed to join and speak on this podcast. Sure. Um, it's I'm going to be real. It's really difficult for a lot of youth with like lived experience to kind of really open up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talk about their experience and yep. not only that but since you are known as like such a really strong and um uh, individual and a survivor it's kind of like you know like how did you how did you manage to do that yeah that's a that's that's a good question so i think uh, I think in theory that question is very simple, but yeah. um, I think it's also complex as well. Um, and I think one of the things that I've tried to do to, you know, like you know, as a as a young person in care, uh, black and growing up without a you know father when I was young, um, I've always tried to not not look at myself as struggling or or just a survivor, yeah. um, because you know when you go through care and stuff, you go through so many different experiences that sort of inform your you know, the, the choices that you make and, and the friends that you make and, and the family, you know, the family members that you interact with and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, it's, re- it's really, really important. Like, you know, f- one of the things I worked on was I tried to sort of empower myself with through different, different ways. Um, and I, I try not to look at myself as just a victim of the system yeah. and, and just a survivor. 
Um, and there was a point where like I, you know, had low moments and was depressed and, and, um, you know, I sort of struggled to, to find my self identity as a, as a black, uh, male in, in society. Um, but I, I've always tried to, you know, to get better and, and work on, you know, communicating with people and being, being a really, really, really good communicator and, and, um, and try to find my roots. And I think trying to, trying to, you know, you know, finding your roots and, and find your culture really, really helps, you know, to sort of get you grounded. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, becoming grounded over the years and, and then, as you mentioned in my, in, in my bio, like, you know, my, you know, becoming a tutor and becoming an educator and educating myself mm-hmm. was the first thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're educated and when you're rooted and grounded, you can help others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just the approach that I've taken. So, yeah. yeah that's like I, I like I admire that heavily mm-hmm. and like my question would be because like for a lot of us you know I know that there's a lot of youth in care who has a variety of different experiences mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. throughout their time in the system and yep. would you consider yourself or, or your experience as a successful one one that you know actually helped build your resilience or would you say that it was more traumatic and it was something that you had to almost pull yourself out of because of whatever kind of barriers including just like being black as well that's a really good question uh the the way i would answer that yeah so i mean i I definitely consider it a a successful experience um one of the things that you, you know young people when they're aging out of care uh, so for those who don't know, you know, young people uh, typically age out of care around 20, 21. Um, and what that means is, you know, uh, they they often, you know, um, they, they get some finance to help them along the way, but usually they have to go and, you know, find a place to live and all these things and almost start over. So for me, I was very privileged to have been, you know, the, the second foster home that I was placed in, um, I ended up finding permanency there, w- yeah. which is actually one of the rare. things that very, very rare, uh, <laughs> very, very. So I, I consider myself lucky. And I originally I come from a Jamaican background, but, you know, this home that I was placed in was Guyanese. So the culture was mm. there was a little bit of crossover, but they were they were black. So yeah. it's not like I was I was in a home where, you know, the, the family didn't look the same or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I was I was able to basically relate to that family and, and that kind of helped me a lot because sometimes when you're going to school or you, you have your friends or whatever, um, you know, it, it they, they, they're not quick to question like where I come from, right? Mm-hmm. They just look at me and they go, oh, okay, he's black, they're black. Okay, we're, they're probably they're probably the same. Um, but but it but it, it was also um, there were also still a lot of nuances in myself because again, even though I was with a family that, you know, that looked like me, um, I, again, I still had to search for my roots and go deep and stuff um, and educate myself in, in that realm. But um, yeah, I guess I consider it a successful experience because I've been able to give back uh, yeah. to the black community, but also like the community of, of kids and child welfare. Um, and I think my, my motto is, you know, if you don't, um, you know, grow and, and get better, you know, how are you going to help the next mm-hmm. gen, right? You know, how are you going to help them step up and come up? And I think the the challenges that we face today are because there's so much isolation in in different communities and because there's not as much ability to kind of connect socially and, and physically and personally, 
a lot of young people are suffering mentally and and so we we need to have more things like this mm-hmm. where, where where we are kind of virtually reaching out to young people and we you know we're, we're putting content out there and like and stories and things like that that they can listen to because mm-hmm. it's very very difficult um, it was difficult before, but it's even more difficult now for yeah. the next gen that's coming up. So yeah, thank you for that. For like, kind of like, you know, bring up the reason why we're really doing this. For sure. But yeah. there is so much to unpack there. You yeah. had mentioned so much permanency, mm-hmm. which is something that is rare. Mm-hmm. A sense of identity that is somewhat easy for other people to un- to understand, mm-hmm. um, just like the correlation of blackness um, that other people see and think that, oh, it's a possibility that they're related. Right. But knowing that there's that separation in you, there right. is just so much in which you have brought it up within that two minutes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's incredible. And I could give yeah. you a little bit of an example for me. Um, I kind of had a very different experience. I've almost had, which is really bad to say, and, and, and I probably shouldn't say this, but almost like a more... Um, uh, I guess not cliche, but you know, common maybe foster mm-hmm. experience that mm-hmm. a lot of kids complain about just the inconsistency mm-hmm. being paired with um, families in which you don't identify with and all that stuff. And I remember specifically in one foster home that I was in, Markham it was actually yeah. the first foster home that I was in. I, I remember this one experience, she was a Trinidadian. And so there was that cultural connection there. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the youth who were in that foster home with me, they were from all different aspects. And right. so when we went out as a unit, it was noticeable for other people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just, you know, that feeling that I put inside me is just right. like, I remember that the little foster, my little foster sister at the time, um, she was a white girl with like brown hair. And um, this one guy that approached us at like some kind of I think uh, events it wasn't even events it was like I think we went shopping or something along those lines yeah. it was like wow your family is very diverse and she was like <laughs> oh this is my foster sister I'm like you don't say that to yeah. people <laughs> I was like really embarrassed about it and it's yeah. just like you know that really gets me thinking it's just like you know for a lot of people they find lost in their roots mm-hmm. because they don't get the ability or the the opportunity to really identify with it when they're paired with like you know white foster homes or like when they're moving around a lot and so it's just like you know it kind of shows how when you actually kind of got an experience like that how Mm -hmm. it really does create a stronger possibility of success yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah and and i think to, to your point too like it's one of those things where when you're, you know, a, a lot of this stuff, like even for me, like you're, st- you're still kind of processing it, right? Because yeah. when it all happens for you, like when you get placed in a foster home or you're like, you have like, you know, you're out with your, you know, foster sister or foster brother or whatever, like, you know, it, everything happens in moments, but you don't, you know, you process it afterwards, you know, because yeah. you're just, you're just kind of just going through life and stuff. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of these things, like I'm still kind of processing, um, and you're, you're often, you're often processing a lot of these experiences and making peace with yourself when you're going through school or when you're going through work and it's like, you have all these things in your mind and stuff. So, you know, I, I yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it definitely helps, you know, even as you like, you know, mentioning from an identity perspective, it, it definitely helps, um, when you have some, you know, when you have either a parent or, 
you know, a, a, you know, just a kind of friend or someone that you're close to to look up to. Mm-hmm. That also helps your success story because, you know, it, it just it helps you to you know to look up to someone who has leadership qualities, for example, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've I've always like for me because I didn't have a father in home when I was younger, you know, I I was lacking that, and that's yeah. why it was hard for me to find my identity as a male. So I had to look up to other people that that I thought were leaders and 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 that's what kind of helped me to grow but yeah it's it's tough when you know for example your worker picks you up yeah. <laughs> from mcdonald's uh. and people are like who's this white lady or who is this like you know brownly pick it's like you know you know whatever you know we're so it's it's hard it's hard to um it's hard to 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 make sense of it but just knowing that like other your friends might be confused about it and you don't really have an answer for it it's you know nothing's explainable right so basically so um it it does take time to to process that afterwards yeah. um and i think one thing that's very important to note is that it's not you know it's i think one message to young people is it's not your fault it's not their fault um it's nothing that you did caused anything it's just life um and you know you're only responsible for the future you can't change the past. Wow. So. That is, that was a beautiful answer. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Like, we have people in the background just clapping to that right now. That was so good. And, the, like, that is one thing that a lot of kids and Kara, especially myself, wasn't able to fully understand because mm-hmm. when you're in the midst of a crisis or trauma, mm-hmm. you're not processing, you're just surviving. Right, right. right. And exactly. then, yeah. you know, when you're out of that traumatic circumstances the situation Mm -hmm. you then really start to process what happens to you and that's the thing about trauma trauma could definitely be weighed on the 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 shock factor that it has Mm -hmm. on individuals Mm -hmm. and so those who you know would seem extremely resilient and feel like oh nothing ever bothers them it's probably because they it it doesn't surprise them they're numb to it and so it's kind of like and and sometimes people don't realize it in the moment but they realize it after the trauma is done and they have to then recollect on those experiences remember it and that's Mm -hmm. a part of for a lot of people especially in therapy it's part of the healing process right Right. but but the thing is though to that to that point there, there is a danger in that i think uh, and I'm a part of this too. What, when you're going through that sort of trauma, uh, you, you kind of learn how to mask that. Yeah. And so you 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 learn how to like mask it so that you. I mean, and not not that you're not resilient or whatever, but you you just sort of learn how to put on a face for you know you know for example like if you're if you're having a bad day and you go to an interview you know you can't you know show up with a grumpy face and you know you gotta look yeah. you know, presentable and whatever so Very so you, so you you're going through your life and you're going through your education and you're into and you you know so you you put this attitude on, but but I think at a certain point like that kind of catches up with you and you have to acknowledge that it's there, mm-hmm. and I think young people in care put that mask on like for such a time but then that time runs out and then they have to deal with it and that's where like depression comes from and that's where all these you know and then there's a certain point in their life where they you know they go really low and then they need support and stuff but by that but you know by that time they're out of the age out Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where they lose a lot of those social connections and they have to make new ones and they're not sure how to network and they don't want you know they, they don't know how to approach life because you know, all the people that knew them before and accepted them for who they are, they're not there anymore. Yes. So, so there's all these different nuances that's happening and then they got to find work and then they have to graduate wow. and all these things. So I've, I've personally dealt with that. Um, and, and even though I've, I've had a 
you know a family for example that was very supportive i couldn't necessarily just talk to them about that stuff like it wasn't that easy it's not um and so that's why again you know you talk about like the community of young people like we you know that community has to continue to grow because we need to support each other um you know and and i i have conversations with young people who came before me and you know those who come after so yeah yeah. that process of building community is so incredibly important so incredibly Mm -hmm. in the black community being able to understand and um almost like here's the thing you know, um, going back, like going to like the the idea of like the the black foster experience essentially, mm-hmm. what really opened up my eyes to the reality that we face as individuals was the one event that I attended back in 2018 called the One Vision One Voice Power Up Symposium, mm-hmm. and that was held by Kike Ojo and um, her team. And right now she's doing amazing things. But essentially, like, I, it was very, it was brought to me very last minute. And my worker just like, you know, because she was a black worker, she was like, you have to attend this. Like, you have to. <laughs> I'm getting all of, like, all of the individuals or all of my black kids to attend right. this event. Yeah. And when I did, you don't even understand how incredibly, like, it's like, revealing it was to me mm-hmm. it w- it made me i was crying that weekend yeah. i felt so understood and like i'm getting emotional right now it yeah. was powerful mm-hmm. i was able to they did everything and that one weekend, they mm-hmm. were able to connect me back to my roots. Mm-hmm. They were able to legitimize my experiences as a black individual. Mm-hmm. They were able to make me feel like I wasn't going insane when mm-hmm. legitimately, when I was in these group homes, in the foster homes, and my workers, everybody around me was making me feel like I was the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't the fact that I was black and I was facing barriers. Right. It wasn't the fact that other people were making life difficult for me. It was me. Right. You right. know, my trauma was my fault. Right. And right. like that conference took that away from me. And when they started to bring up the stats that like um, black youth um, are 40 times or make up 40 percent of the population inside the youth in care, but only represent eight in total area in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're five times overrepresentative. And they bring all these statistics that I've never seen before. Right. And they were saying that, no, you deserve, you know, to be able to understand who you are, your identity. You need to know that the things that you're advocating for are justifiable and they're right. Because Mm. just because somebody who has a background or my worker is white and doesn't know how to properly advocate for me or for my hair care products or anything like that doesn't mean that I don't need them. Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like, it was a really emotional experience. And so it's kind of like, do you think that, you know, it's really important for us to not only be connected to our community, but to have people who um, identify with us to be able to represent and advocate for us, even like in our workers, through supervisors and mm-hmm. through like across all agencies? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, that, that's a really good, good question. I think, I think, uh, I think to answer that question properly we have to acknowledge that although it's important to find connection through culture, uh, like, you know, black, black, or, you know, whatever culture, um, indigenous, indigenous, or whatever, there are many different ways in which we can find that support through, um, you know, I mean, if you think about the topic of emotional intelligence and empathy and all these things, 
we don't only connect through people um, or, or we, we there, there's, a, there's a possibility to connect with others through other means. For example, yes. not just through color, but through culture or through arts or through identity. Like there's so many different ways we can connect. Yeah. And so I think that even for black youth, for example, um, you know, fa- you know there, there are a lot of, you know, people who are empathetic towards, you know, the, kind of the 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 condition of mental health and care or even the black condition um there are many different people who are not black but who can understand uh, where that young person's coming from 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 an emotional standpoint and so i think it's important to have a community that that contains people from all different sorts of backgrounds that are almost um like able to identify with us, but they don't right. necessarily have to be black. They have to just be able to understand us on a mental level. Exactly, Ooh. exactly, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, because and 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 you need that yes. uh, because I think what's happening is society is becoming more diverse. Yeah. Um, and so even when you look at relationships, like you know the the you know if you you see a lot, most. I mean, a lot of people that I see in relationships walking down the street are are interracial relationships. Yeah. So those people are 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 not. Obviously, color is not the common barrier. So, what is it? It's maybe they're able to relate to each other on another level. Yes. Right. And so that that same theme of relationships has to has to sort of present itself in the case of kids in care, youth in care, because youth in care are not only black. There are Asian youth in care. There are Indigenous. There are Indian. There are Mexican. There are all different kinds. Mm-hmm. And I think the common thing that we all share is that uh, we all share the common struggle of no matter. Why we went, you know, no, no matter what the reason is that we went into care, we we've survived it. Yes. Um, and even though we not all of us, you know, found permanency or not not all of us had nice workers or whatever the case may be, um, we all share that bond of, you know, we've been able to essentially survive the care system, mm-hmm. and we have experiences, hence lived experience that we can then share with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if I need help in a certain area, or if you need help, or if someone else needs help there's somebody who knows like what to say or what to do or whatever. Um, Wait, pause a second. Everything okay? Apologize for that little pause. And I'm, you know, I was going to, so I'm going to challenge you unless you want to finish your thought. If you remember what it was. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's, it's really, really important uh, to, you know, one thing about, you know, a community of young people that can, you know, sort of help each other along. Um, It's, it's really important to, to include the topic of diversity in that, you know, I, I know that, uh, for, for black youth, it's important to find their identity, but at the same time, again, you know, um, again, the topic of relationships, if you see an interracial couple, you know, together, you know, they're not together because of race, they're together because they connect on a deeper level. Yeah. Um, and so young people in care and care essentially connect most of the time on deeper levels. Um, and especially if yes. you've you grown up in group homes or if you've been to foster homes with different parents, like you're connecting with those people on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you didn't connect on any level at all... Um, you share the experience. Exactly. You share the experience. You share the barriers. You share, you know, you share all those things. So there, there's, there, there, there's, there, there's always a story behind it. Um, and even if you look at people who are successful in general, like everyone goes through adversity. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at being in care as some sort of adversity that makes you more resilient and stuff, you know... Th- those those adversities you know give you lived experience which you t- which you can then use to you know to help others uh, get better and, and even you know when you're talking to for example someone who's an entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, and they they ask you you know what's your story and you know what can you you know can you give me advice like on whatever you know I mean I, th- I truly think that 
youth in care can are are equipped to give advice to people in business because you know the, there there is some similarity in terms of the adversities they face and the challenges they face um and you're gonna have to deal with so many different personalities and all that stuff so i really yeah i i'm really really optimistic all the time when it comes to communities and and enlarging the community of you know advocates and young yeah. people so yeah i love that you say that because that's like a very like intelligent response like mm-hmm. the idea that foster kids could even advise business people mm-hmm. is almost like because they understand people right and, um and like uh um you know the goods the bads their vulnerabilities all these things on a mm-hmm. deeper level than maybe some business people can um so that is a brilliant response but i'm going to challenge you with this question this next question sure um in regards sorry there's something about my eyelash in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. you know, essentially, th- th- and this is actually a question that I believe that I might have asked somebody before, with all of these movements in regards to individuals or the Black community trying to create a space for them and them alone, with like these schools for only Black people, for hospitals for only Black people, for homes and all these things, or sections and communities for only people. Pop- black people Mm -hmm. this idea in which we need to heavily stick to our roots and stick together and Mm -hmm. you know and almost like separate ourselves from other people Mm -hmm. or it's just like you know is that you're with us or against us Mm -hmm. do you think that these things for one you know especially with like how it probably has affected so many kids in the foster care system, especially black kids in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's promoting segregation and this idea of separation, you against me, in the black community? It's a very, 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 very good question. And I know exactly how I'm going to answer it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, I, I think, uh, I think the, the, I, I don't think the agenda is to, reinvigorate segregation so much um i i understand that 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 there might be a need to sort of have you know black owned businesses and you know essentially are a a, a community of individuals that essentially you know are there to kind of generate um almost like a a, like a black society (laughs) because that that's really really what what it would be you know like a black bank a black society black schools all these things however I think the challenge with doing that is that, um, you know, we're, we're all, again, society is moving towards, you know, despite all of the kind of riots and all of the different things that are happening with Black Lives Matter and all Mm -hmm. the discrimination stuff, society is still very slowly moving towards a more diversified model. And, and when you think about the, the, the idea of, of black youth who are in the care system, um, Again, they're they're growing up with so many different, you know. Even if it's you're talking about young people on the streets, um, they're growing up amongst young people who are Iranian, for example, or yeah. Afghan, or you know, um, w- whatever race. Like it's it's not just you know we're we're, we're all intermingled in the society, and so uh, y- you basically on the topic of intersectionality, you can't just. Um, it's not easy it's not possible and i don't think it's i don't think it would make sense to separate black people out of society exactly because i think what happens then is now now all of the challenges that black black people face in general um they're gonna have to 
for example, work those challenges out by themselves, you're, you're, you're creating almost this kind of systematic divide yeah. where there's no support from any other community. Like, for example, if you want a black school, topic of, of, uh, of black schools, for example, you know, I mean, the, the school board, I mean, when you think about school boards, it's a huge, um, you know, system, a world by itself. Yeah. Uh, and so say, saying that you're going to, you know, create like a black owned, you know, whatever that that's good. That's that's cool. But then where are you going to get that support? Where are you going to get the money? Yeah. Um, you know, how, how are you going to because, again, every, you know, society is such it's such an interwoven like everything's just, you know, interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we think about I think it's important to connect black youth or, or have programs that will connect black youth to black influencers mm-hmm. because oh, okay. it's important to look up to those individual individuals um, because when you're thinking about like success and all you know a mm-hmm. lot of the reasons why black youth are not successful in school is because they don't have role models yeah right and so you when if we're thinking about designing it to where you know we want black youth to be exposed to more opportunities or whatever or even youth in care like we want them to to be able to you know whatever the case like we have to think about it in a way where we have support from other groups mm-hmm. but where we put the emphasis on uh on you know for example mm, like black youth and say okay you know we're we're this we're we're, we're, we're doing this for the purpose of connecting black youth to more opportunities within mentoring or we're doing this to connect more black, you know, whether it's entrepreneur, whatever the case yeah. is. So I think the topic has to be defined. Yes. Um, or if it's education, like that topic has to be defined. Mm-hmm. But I think just having like a, a like mentor a, to give us like that guidance right. as like of how you could succeed as a black individual, how I succeeded, you know, being able to have like almost like an emulation. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And then also, also thinking about the other, uh, other races in society how are how would if we have black owned whatever how would other races benefit from that yes so it would Uh, have to be something where because for example if you think about like a a corner store that like a you know that's jewish owned everybody shops there it's not just one it's not a juice you know shop there everyone shops so how if you have you know uh you create all these different opportunities are other people going to be able to benefit as well? Yeah. Um, if it's if it's for people in care, are all youth in care going to be able to benefit? Yes. So we need to think more broadly about like how, how is it becoming? Yeah, exactly. How do we make it more inclusive, mm-hmm. but still make the influencers who are leading it black influencers, so that Ooh. at the top, that when black youth look at look up to them, they can you know the 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 success of black youth will go up because they can then benefit from those role models. That is amazing. So for the workers, for the supervisors, CEOs, I need you to take that model that <laughs> Droid has just beautifully painted and actually turn that into some kind of training or reform. I think that is brilliant. Because yeah. there are going to be workers and people who are going to be using this as a reference mm-hmm. to legitimately almost redefine and restructure the foster care system. That mm-hmm. is the hope. And this is yeah. why these conversations are so incredibly important. That mm-hmm. was beautiful. To be able to still, you know, be able to be like a, a participant in society right. and include others mm-hmm. is important. But to have specific guidance from somebody who identifies like us, but right. is in a position where we want to be a mentor, right. that is genius. That is the perfect answer. You knew. <laughs> Honestly, I got to say too, money 
does not have color attached to it. Oh, so <laughs> the stock market does it. When you're, Nothing. Ooh. Ultimately, if, if you're trying to do something that's insurance focused, if you're trying to do something that's banking focused or education focused, uh, it ultimately the goal would be to draw money from yes. it. And money is you'll make more money when you're influencing more, 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 you know, more, more audiences, more, yes. more racially or culturally diverse audiences mm-hmm. so you can't just think about like one audience you have to think about all different audiences but again the people who are making the decisions at the top have the most influence yes that's exactly. where you want the black you know yeah and that's where you really need to build these partnerships and mm-hmm. there's two things that i want to like ask you here mm-hmm. one there is this idea that i think has been brought to me before that people were thinking of maybe i'm not sure if it was in canada i hope you know this is not an idea that they were thinking of in canada mm-hmm. but maybe in the u.s they're planning on creating a child welfare system specifically for black people kind of like mm-hmm. what they did for the indigenous and like in that sense like do you think that that's a good idea just like a black children's aid society that's a good question um well, I mean, first of all, you got to discuss the the what what does that mean like a black children's so what that means is um black workers, mm-hmm. black youth, black resources, like a- everything would 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 have to be created by or influenced by or decided on by individuals who who are black. Mm-hmm. And within the black community, so when you, when you think about, you know, black people in general, Within that sort of populace, there are a bunch of different intricacies and nuances and differences culturally. Yes. So there is no one black person. Yes. Right? There's African, there's Caribbean, there's, you know, and then again, there's there's mixed race black. There's yeah. people who are mixed with other. So, so you know, do um, I, I think there are a lot of different, there are a lot of differences that you have to address before you move into a because when you're when you're talking about the this year of child welfare, uh, mental health is involved in that. There's so many different mm-hmm. s- serious issues that that are involved in that. So, mm-hmm. I think I think I'm going to be very sensitive here. Uh, I think for the black race, I think there are things that there are a lot of differences that we have to resolve within our exactly. communities. I was going to say. So that. I don't think we I don't think we can go there as a race. Yeah. I I, I just because. Yeah. You know, youth and care already have so many different issues that exactly. they need. Ser- they need people who can who can really make a serious uh, interjection mm-hmm. uh, and 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 give advice and and be very very honest and sincere and really help young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to create something that you really don't you know you really don't have control of or you create it and then all of a sudden it falls apart or someone doesn't take responsibility. Like I think we really have to focus on. You know, uh, how do we how do we create a, a community first of black people who can, you know, who, who, who have who have proper influence and leadership and stuff. And then if there's maybe enough of that, then you can focus on maybe having like a sub, you know, community of, you know, black influencers or black, workers yeah. or whoever who can who can create that. But I, I don't think we're there yet as a as black people, per se. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. So this is really interesting because oh, I, I had a response to that. I like I am trying to think in regards to let me uh, collect my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Oh, here. This is where I want to go with this. 
um, you kind of touched on the fact that um, there are still a lot of unresolved issues within the black community that you know, a lot of other cultures don't seem to understand and mm -hmm. systems don't mm -hmm. seem to understand. Right. So this idea that we as black individuals are violent and abusive to our, each other and mm -hmm. to our children, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it, it kind of, first of all, really paints this picture to everybody. Right. And that's why there's such like fear instilled in mm -hmm. us. And I remember having this conversation with my brother. We were just at the grocery store and he's obviously, you know, colorism is a really big thing. Mm -hmm. like, you could be black, but not be viewed as scary. I feel like the darker right. your skin, the yeah. more scary you appear, yeah. especially like at nighttime. And it's, it drives me, it breaks my heart and drives me crazy because yeah. I love my brother. He is such a tidy, sensitive mm -hmm. individual, socially mm -hmm. anxious, yeah. kind of like, you know, individual. Yeah. Um, but then this idea that other people are going to be scared of him because of how he appears, it's just like, it breaks my heart so much. But like, um, but, but it, it, that was a little bit unrelated to my, what, what I wanted to ask, but like this idea that, first of all, a lot of the issues in which we do have within our community it's so heartbreaking that it's true. Like mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, your father wasn't in your life. My father wasn't in our, our life. Mm -hmm. And it's just known that the fathers are usually not in the lives of black mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why that we're so oppressed and, and constantly in poverty and things. Yeah. All these unresolved issues with us, it stems from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something that really helped me. And I have constantly talked about on this podcast this mm -hmm. idea of intergenerational trauma mm. and post-traumatic stress slave syndrome this is gonna be good oh yeah <laughs> this, you knew where i was going this with this yeah. so there's a reason why you know maybe the fathers are not in their own home mm -hmm. there's a reason why you know maybe our parents are incredibly abusive mm -hmm. and it didn't take it took me until i turned 18 mm -hmm. where i was in such a state of distraught and confusion and didn't understand like what is wrong with me? Like, why are all these things happening to me? Yeah. Like, why does my mother hate me? Why is it's like, you know, and I started to go looking for the answer. And it's kind of just like, wow, the things that happened to me happened to my mom when she was a child. Right. The same thing happened to her mom when she was a child. Right. And it stems from slavery. Right. And so it's right. like, you know, it's almost like we're still in this system of oppression. Mm hmm because people fail to realize that we need to um, almost re not re re um, rectify the black family. Mm -hmm. We need to rectify the black family. Yep. And you can't do that by interfering in it and removing the, the, the important pieces inside yes. that family. Yes. So the children, you can't remove the right. children from the home right. if you want to heal that home. You know, right. you can't remove the father and put them in jail right. if you want to heal that father. And right. so it's kind of like, you know, how, what will make them realize and what is the first step that we need to do to really rectify the black home? Whew, I can spend all week <laughs> answering that question. Here's, here's how I'm going to start. When I was, I'm going to start with a little anecdotal story. Yeah. When I was in high school, um, I, I had friends from everywhere. I had a lot of Spanish friends. And one of my friends from El Salvador, he, one day we were walking, uh, yeah, he was, he was from El Salvador, yeah. So what, we're walking home one day, or like we're walking to his house. So he his house was on the way to my house. We would stop there, talk, whatever, and then I would bust to my house. And he said he said something that really interested to me, you know, was, was really intriguing to me. He said, um, 
And when I first saw you, I thought you were one of the other ones. It's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And I wasn't like really offended because I, I knew, I knew kind of where he was coming from, but I wanted him to elaborate on it. Mm. And so I think, I think that sort of, if you think about, if you use his kind of um, viewpoint as, 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 as a, as a sample for other, the way the other people think in the society, yeah. that were the, there's, there's that, there's, you know, that kind of perception is just propagated by the media and all these different influences and what we see on TV and movies and all that stuff. So there's, there's that piece, which we cannot control yeah, completely. completely. But there's another piece that we can control, which is the, the, the family narrative, which is difficult in itself, but the, the, you know, the idea of the black family yes. um, and black fathers not being there and stuff. And I think when you think about the, so I don't know if you've ever heard of the term epigenetics before. No. So epigenetics refers to the re, uh, genetics is a part of it. So there's the genes which are propagated from one generation to the next, yes. to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, and that, you know, conveys a bunch of traits and biological phenomenon that, you know, is passed down from one to the other and to, you know, next year, all that stuff. You're so smart. And then, and then there's the environmental piece and, and other pieces of it, right? So I think from an environment, no, so we, we, you know, you, you can't control who your birth parents are, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, you can't control where they come from, where you come from, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you can control the future and, and, and yes. you know, the environments that you're exposed yes. to and all that stuff. So I think when you think about the, uh, when you think about it from an environmental standpoint, that's where we, that's where we have the control where someone has to break the cycle at a certain point. Yes. And when I was in high school. Yes. I, I, I thought about the question of, okay, mm. I always grew up in church, for example, and I didn't have a father still. And, you know, if we have so many black churches, why are we still struggling? Why don't we have money? Why, why are we still in poverty? All these things. Um, and the, the answer to that is the fact that when no one breaks, so, you know, when you go from generation, when, when no one breaks the cycle of, fa I call it fatherlessness yeah. or orphanism, because that's basically what it is. Ooh. When no one breaks that cycle and it keeps going from generation to generation, then you have that, that then you have the, 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 the genetics part of epigenetics where those, those traits and those, those mentalities get passed down from yes. person to person. So there's that piece. So mm -hmm. what happens is uh, if, 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 if I, let, let's say I didn't have a father in my life. So if I go and I get a girl pregnant, for example, and <laughs> I run off and leave her, that thing continues in the next child. Yes. So that child gets those genes and th ch chances are they're going to do that if someone else doesn't, you know, doesn't change, whatever. So the, the scary part is that when you get put into foster care, it further breaks up the black family, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad ones. Yes. For me, I think it was good. I, I now live with a black family. I live with two parents and I've decided not to... You know, uh, I mean, I've dated before, but I, I decided not to, you know, not to go and, you know, get a girl pregnant and continue the cycle. Mm -hmm. So my personal goal in my life after care, like, you know, transitioning out of care was to break that cycle in my generation, in my gene pool. Mm -hmm. um, and so I couldn't control what my friend Oscar in high school told me, which was you're one of the other ones. I can't control what he's thinking. I can't control what society feels about me particularly. But what I can control is how I'm influencing the black community and the decisions that I make 
that move me and the people around me into the future. Mm-hmm. I can control that. And if and and if I'm going to do any good for my community, I have to be a black father. That's that's what I should be living up to because they don't exist. Yes. And that and that's how I'll influence other black males to be black fathers. And then you have okay, so there's my, you know, family. Then you might have two other people around me who have their family. So that that's how it starts. Mm-hmm. So we can't just blame society for the perception that they have. Yes, there are things that we can't control and yada, yada, yada. But there are things that we can control. And the first step is breaking the cycle. Beautiful. I think that that was such a perfect response that you gave us. And um, one thing that you mentioned was for use. You mentioned the idea that sometimes when foster care intervenes in the black home, mm-hmm. sometimes it's destructive and sometimes it's necessary, mm-hmm. right? And for me, to give a little bit of example, because for you, you mentioned, and this is why it's important to really have these conversations and to talk about our very different experiences. For you, it benefited you. You know, it took you mm-hmm. from maybe something that was dysfunctional and put you in something that was a lot more functional. For me... It was necessary, right? It was absolutely necessary that the foster I, that I went into the foster care system, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Um, it didn't put me into anything functional, right? It right. took me from dysfunction to dysfunction, essentially, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it was kind of just like I don't. I don't even. Ah, uh, it 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 was kind of like. Uh, that's where obviously the foster care system needs a lot of improvement. It's just reforming the care system to really go and like obviously prioritize the child's protection and safety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also their ability to grow since they're in such a vital stage of development. Right. Right. right? And so <laughs> although you know I would be seen as somebody who's strong and successful and resilient mm-hmm. um, throughout my time, doesn't take away the fact that, you know, the first probably 18 years of my life was mm-hmm. just dysfunction, dysfunction after dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of just like, I don't know, what do you think the foster care system needs to prioritize to better support the black youth? Like, do they need to prioritize the putting them into black homes? Do they need to prioritize just like the pure process of hiring or licensing these homes? It's just like, it's a loaded question, mm-hmm. but it's important to get these perspectives from individuals. And this is something that I ask a lot of the you know youth, but what did you in, in in I think in, in actuality, uh, that question would take, like in, in terms of like planning, it would take ten years, or it would take more than more than a decade to answer that question. N- not answer it verbally, but answer it strategically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, to to that point, I think a very <laughs> so, something that that will, would benefit. So you got to think about it in stages. Um, mm-hmm. I think a, the 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 problem with the system is. You know, if you if you create one product that serves someone from the age of, you know, ten to or you know from five, let's say to twenty five, it's only going to benefit people from in in like a short age range, right? Yes. And the rest will be left out. Yes. So right now you have a product 
that has been built uh, with all these different layers and people involved that might not necessarily be, might be educationally or academically experienced in to be a social worker or whatever, but not emotionally intelligent, which yeah. means they can't empathize. Mm. Um, they can sympathize, but sympathy and empathy are two different things. Sympathizing is going, oh, you know, I, you know, I hope you're okay, or you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's not empathizing. Mm-hmm. Empathizing is actually, it's actually accepting that person for who they are and asking, okay, how can I help? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that piece. Uh, we are. Th- this world is is reaching kind of a critical mass right now, where it, you you're just we're just going into crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand how to teach people to be more equipped in in stages of crisis. Mm-hmm. So you need more crisis planning. That's yes. the first thing. That's true. You know, people who can, you know, there there has to be, there there has to be some sort of training on that, and you need, and you know, because um, I I just think what happens is when youth transition out of care they immediately go into a crisis phase and a phase mm-hmm. where, where everything just has to be quick and they have to find a job, they got to make money, they got to live on their own. If they have kids, they got to take care. Like there's all, that basically is a life crisis, which becomes what? A midlife crisis. So there's that piece of it. I think previously before that, like maybe depending on the age, like if you go into care at age seven or age 10, or like I went to care at age 10, um, you, you need, you know, you, you, you need to make it so that, like I don't think it's, it's so important to place, like, well, a conversation that I hear often is, oh, you know, put the put this black child in a black home because yeah, that'll help. Exactly. Yeah, but that doesn't, you know, do you under, Do you even understand the black family, though? Do you understand black people? Do you understand black culture? It's not so much just put them in a black home mm-hmm. um, or put them in a Jewish home or whatever. Yeah. So I think you need more people who understand, for the black community or indigenous you they understand that culture. Mm-hmm. And they understand what are the things that make that culture work. Mm-hmm. How does it function? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can better cater to that demographic. Yeah, like I, like I I think I see where you're coming from. So like, like it's one thing to put a black child in a black home mm-hmm. for one that will give them a sense of identity and belonging for sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, it doesn't necessarily you know, justify or solve everything. Right. That child still needs to be able to connect and form a bond or relationship with their caregiver. Right. I think, is that where you're kind of getting at? Yeah, but but it's it's not only because that child might not find that bond. I think that child, I think within the black, uh, with, with, within the child welfare system or children's aid societies, Peel, Toronto, what have you, mm-hmm. there should be, a, there should be programs that connect those black youth in those Ooh. foster homes to black influencers. That's where, yeah, we'll go the, back the to your last question, exactly. The mentorship, That's yes. what you need. Yes. Because at least if, if they're not, um, net now it could be a black youth who's in a black home, black youth who's in a, like an Asian or a white home, black youth, whatever, the home doesn't matter. Because they're at least, now you're, you're also, you're, you're prioritizing the future of that young person. Yes. Networking, job opportunities, making money, friends, all these mm-hmm. things. So you're ch- so even if they don't find uh, laws, you know, hierarchy of laws. They need food, they need clothing, they need shelter. That's it. You're you're whether there's a bond or not at at its base, you're meeting those needs. Yes. Okay, so that's met. Okay, well now help them, you know, because they're going to become resilient, they're going to grow. Now you point them towards the future. That's where you have something that that helps, that pairs them with a mentor, that for mm-hmm. a certain number of years, you know, helps them uh, connect and network and meet other people because, again, societies become more diverse, yeah. so they can't just be with black people. Yeah. They have to meet other people, too. 
That's learn how to communicate. That's yes. learn how to be more more resilient in professional environments. Mm-hmm. Some black youth have very nice homes, but then they go into the professional environment and they can't survive because they don't know how to talk or they feel like yes. I have to prove that I deserve to be here, uh, you know, because I, you know, whatever. So I think like that that's the either way what happens is that youth transition out of care eventually and then they just don't know what to do mm-hmm. and if, if they're black it becomes worse yeah because now they have to like constantly prove themselves exactly and so being able to have that mentorship is really important for like a, obviously all of those regions of which you stated and like and this is what's really great because i know that you're a part of cheers the mentorship program mm-hmm. that's literally yeah i know like yeah. it's kind of like everything that you've been building is to really and i would love for you to like really go ham and talk about cheers yeah and, for sure like yeah. what they're really trying to accomplish here mm-hmm. uh, but essentially like the, the cheers program is essentially everything which Troy has been mentioning. Mm-hmm. It's a black mentorship program for youth transitioning out of care for black kids in care. Right. And not only that, but those there's two uh, stages of it. Mm-hmm. There's the one in where um, the mentors could mentor the mentees um, for so the younger adults who are maybe like between the ages of 16 to maybe 18 or 19 who are currently in that process of transitioning out. But then mm-hmm. there's also the community mentors who literally are that in a stage where they're in their field, they are successful right. and they're able to provide specific, um, you know, guidance for those who have a sense of stability, but maybe look, maybe looking for more direction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that is the cheers mentorship. It's just like a brilliant program yeah, and sure. really needs to like get out there yeah yeah and and one one thing yeah so just to add to your point too yeah it's it's a it's a trilateral program and you know it's it's good because there's you know as you mentioned there's three tiers to it Mm -hmm. you know you have the mentee um i don't want to say at the bottom but you have the mentee essentially who's uh you know the most deserving of a mentor and that mentee and mentor build relationship and then the mentor is supported by a community mentor Mm -hmm. and they're actually looking for more community mentors and this is a great conversation because you know, we again, we that that's that's one way to sort of, um, you know, to sort of uh, um, connect black youth with black again black influencers mm-hmm. who they can look up to. Um, at the same time, what you're also doing is you're also creating a community of people who can serve each other and help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like you know the mentor, for example, if if they have a concern or if they if they feel overwhelmed, you know, they can you know, that the mentee with lived experience might be able to answer a question. Yes. And that's where, again, it, you know, it's not a case where if someone's older, they're more experienced than they're smarter and whatever. Mm-hmm. No, it's, 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 you know, across the board, everyone has lived experience in some area. And so in some way, form or fashion, we can all help each other. And, and that's essentially the, the idea. Um, okay. So basically, and here's the thing. So, um, I, I know that like the last point was cut off is really heartbreaking because yeah. like I just love listening to you. You're in so incredibly just like insightful. Um, but um, like I, I don't want to because I have a couple of other questions here for you. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a lot of them has to do with like the importance of like being able to connect to our roots because one mm-hmm. thing that I recognize is that youth who may have been put into a rural area 
that is surrounded by pure like white people yeah. you know they are currently they're like desperate for a sense of connection right with right, the black communities right and so like <laughs> i don't know like, like do you think that it's important to keep youth close to at least or have some kind of um connection to like the black culture or how can they not only that because you've already answered that question pretty much but like for those who may have lost that root or that sense of connection how can they find it again hmm well i think i think the question assumes that the connection is lost is it lost um I mean, genetically, it's not because true because they you can't because that's yeah. Very true. Um, but I I, I but think the identity I, might be lost. The that's the thing. The identity might might be lost or or buried, uh, buried. Or, or hidden. Yes. Um. So I I think it's a matter of you know what where you know uh how how do they, you know again the 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 immediate kind of way to answer that is finding connection with the birth family right. Okay. Again, if. The birth family is in another country. Like, for example, if a young person travels from Africa or from the Caribbean and their birth family is there, then it's a little bit distally difficult to connect with them because they're just in a different place. So now they got to travel there or they can connect via WhatsApp or social media. Um, but, but, it, but again, it, it depends on what exactly they need to find to solidify that that kind of identity piece Mm -hmm. for me what that was is uh, making peace with the fact that you know I had a single mother and I had all these questions but none of them could be answered right and so um, I I just had to sort of process that in my mind and uh, stop kind of beating up on myself for you know saying oh you know because this happened it's my it's my my mistake my fault kind of thing and and self-judging but um, it, it all depends on what that identity piece means for each black. I, so when, when you say identity, identity is not the same. It's not the same point or, or you know, it, it, it's different things to different people. Yeah, um, that's true. So, that for example, true. if you live in a rural area, um, you know, like what what is it that you need to find to help you um, become a better version of yourself? Mm-hmm. Because uh, now the thing is you have to find that. Or I would, it's it's best to find that before you get into the professional world. Because okay. what a lot of people run into is they run into this kind of mm. situation where they want to be, and I've done it too, they want to be a, a professional. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure whether to, quote unquote, sell out okay. to their identity yeah. or whether to put on a face, talk professionally, dress a certain way, yada, 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 to make it in the banking or in the finance yeah, or whatever so like put world on a mask to please others but then yeah. they're, they're they're cutting a piece of themselves out of themselves yeah because they're not their authentic self yeah and so when you go through life like that there's still a piece of you missing so you have to find that piece yeah and that's where going back to your cultural roots plays in now it's again it's best to do that before you get it because once you get into the professional world there's you got responsibilities then you have you have all these different things to do um and you end up becoming successful but you, there, there's almost like a hole inside of you. Like there's something that you yeah. really can't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's that peace missing. Yeah. So And so like one thing that you did mention is like that, like I, I kind of thought about, and this is actually a question that almost puts a lot of guilt into black people. It's like right. this idea that like, um, you know, 
because of the things in which we've been forced to experience or this I this almost like missing identity piece that you know we have to change ourselves to please others mm, um right. and like you know almost like feeling ashamed of ourselves or we can't you know be victims or this this even this whole idea yeah. of being a victim because right. of something that happened to us 200 years ago it's like right. are we are we just like victim blaming everything it's like you know it's really hard to have these conversations with obviously white individuals yeah. and there's this guilt and it's, I don't know. It comes back to Black Lives Matter. It's just yeah. such a complicated and long thing. I think. I, I think the thing is, is, is we we can't. Um, again, some of that is epigenetic. We we can't yeah. really blame. Ourselves. Although it happened, we can't blame ourselves. We also can't necessarily blame others. I want to say, okay. e- even though we we were victims of, uh, you know, a certain. Uh, yeah. r- race dominating another race. You, you still can't because again, I, uh, you, you know, if 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 you're living in the states, for example, then you, your problems are maximized. Yeah. Because the discrimination is is wild over there. Yeah. So 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 there's the dynamic of okay, knowing where your environment is again, epigenetics, knowing yeah. where your environment is, knowing what you're able to do in that environment, what are your abilities and capabilities. Mm-hmm. In Canada, it's a different scenario. Yeah, there's racism. Yeah, there's discrimination. But it's it's a it's a different scenario. The opportunities that we have here to shine and to connect with other people, and and share different viewpoints and go to you know events where people are performing poetry or yes. an arts night or like a reading, whatever. Um, we have those opportunities. So, in in a Canadian sense, we have to we can't think about it the same way that an American would think about it because mm-hmm. they don't have those opportunities over there. Yeah. So since we have those opportunities over here, again. It goes back to what are, if you're just screaming, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Mm-hmm. Then you're not really growing. You're not really growing. And people are not going to want to help you through that. Yeah. Because it's, that's a victim mindset. It is. Or a poverty mm-hmm. mindset. You have to want, I, I figured this out before, you have to want to change. Yes. Period. And that is something, no one, oh, everybody talks yeah. about. It's like you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. Right. You need to you want need, change for it, yourself. Exactly. And, and and so when you connect that logic into having a, a black-owned anything, mm-hmm. okay, so you want to you wanna own this. Okay, well, you know, again, ha- have how, 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 how long have you thought and strategized yeah. of how it's going to benefit other people? Yeah. Because... If it's just we're gonna do this because oh we want to be by ourselves and we're we're being discriminated against, it's mm-hmm. not gonna go anywhere. Yeah, it has to be really really thought out and it has to benefit everyone. And I think, um, you know, again, we we just you you can't go into anything with a victim mindset. There yeah. has to be, yeah. So it's almost like yes, we can legitimize our experiences and the things that um, has happened to us and our family, mm-hmm. but. We do have control over our future. And coming con- back to that future thing, yes. the mentorship, yes. it all kind of comes back together. And mm-hmm. this is something that a lot of youth in care may need to just um, pick up on and learn. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, and it takes obviously building that community, having these conversations right. to be able to educate youth on how to actually want change. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but to implement it. Right beautiful so this is a really important question that i pretty much ask almost everybody that comes onto my podcast Mm -hmm. because being able to get an insight from everybody's different perspective on this one question is important to really educate youth who are currently in care Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna ask you this what is one thing that you know now that you wished you knew while you were in care 
Um, I, I get. I, so the best way to answer that is very good question. Uh, I I would say um, to. I love making Troy speechless. <laughs> <laughs> For a guy that that does poetry, um, I, I I would say. Uh, from a personal standpoint, knowing that I've always had, you know, identity issues and, and um, you know, mm-hmm. all, never really gave myself the credit uh, and then figuring out that I was good at so many different things, I would say never limit yourself to one area. Okay. There is a perception of the black community that all black people are good at sports. And that's it. Or they try yeah. to, you know, there, there's a, I was part of a panel recently. And one, one of the things that the guy said was, uh, de-streaming, which is when you, which is when you sort of filter youth into a particular stream of education, like mm-hmm. arts or something. Um, de-streaming is a huge part of education for black youth because they just get put into like one, Hey, you know, you should take this course. Cause that's, you know, what you're, whatever. Mm. I always love sciences. Always. Uh, I loved thinking about math, thinking about chemistry. I love yeah. that stuff. Went into tutoring for it. Nerd. But I also love poetry. <laughs> and when people ask me, okay, well, like, how are you good at science and critical thinking, but you're also good at arts? And it's like, I, I can't explain. But I'm multi I'm good at it. I'm good at different things. So um, all, most of these things I discovered after high school. And yeah. in high school, I beat myself up trying to fit into like a certain narrative and be a certain person and because it, and it exactly and it caused a lot of stress yeah. like it caused a lot of internal Same. stress and so if i were to tell my younger self uh one thing i would say um be yourself and don't limit yourself to one skill mm-hmm. um do maximize your gifts i guess i would say um, I'm I'm multi talented. I'm not afraid to say I'm multi talented. I'm good at different things. Yes, um, you are. And black people are not just good at one, one thing. thing. They're not just good at basketball, or they're not just good at sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very athletic, but that doesn't define my potential. Mm-hmm. And so when I found my potential, like I think it was five years ago. Yes. Yeah, I can't be stopped. That is beautiful, <laughs> and that is actually something that um also was mentioned at the youth symposium, the Black mm-hmm. Youth Symposium, mm-hmm. and it, it was almost like this idea that you you have the power. You just need to find the confidence to right. not let other individuals who may be in a higher position than right. you to define your limitations. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like something that I think I might have asked at the symposium is how can we as black youth find power and um, confidence in a society that tries to restrict us? Society can't really restrict you. Society can try to limit you. Um, look at look at the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you know, uh, look, look at black inventors. Yeah. Look but at, even look, like in job sites and things mm-hmm. like that, people feeling that they are not going to get a job because of the way that they may appear right, right. and because of our color. And this idea that's built into so many people is mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, even the system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's there. yes, they do limit us, but sometimes there are restrictions in which we have to find our way out of. Like, yeah. w- like how do you think that, you know... Mm-hmm. We could navigate that. 
Yeah, I th- I think I think a lot of those restrictions are psychological. Like a lot of those, mm. so a lot of those things start from young, right? Yeah. Um, so like what that means is, from a young age, we're already grappling with the kind of reality that, w- mom, where's my dad? Mm-hmm. No answer. Um, so we're we're already grappling with the reality, of, um, I'm already different. I don't have the same life as other people, and then you and then you go into society, and again, if you survive care, or even if you're not, don't grow up in care. If you grow up with a single mother or whatever, um, and you're raised by an uncle or something, or, mm-hmm. or bigger brothers or sisters, um, again, you're you're grappling with that reality of there's no one here who looks like me. I don't really have anyone to look up to. I don't really have anyone that I can speak to. If I go to work, if I start a new job, and they really really like me, mm-hmm. and I've been in this position, they really really like me, but I don't like me or I don't like what I've become or I'm not sure I can do well or I'm not sure I can be successful. Who do you talk to? It's all communication. Like if you, if you have someone to talk to about that, then you can get over it a little bit and then you can, you know, you fight it, but you can get over it. Mm -hmm. But psychologically, if you have no one to talk to, if you're by yourself, it's, it's likely that you'll, you'll be unsuccessful not because you're not talented which was where i was going with this with myself earlier but because you, you, it's what's been instilled and then it once again it it, it festers psychologically Ooh. and then it becomes like a self-hate low-key a self-hate thing yeah and then you're forced like i said before to change your to almost sell out or change yourself to, to become this professional kind of um uh what, what's what's the word like this professional Puppet. Puppet or, or hypocrite, um, yeah. uh, with, with all due respect, because, you, you know, you need to make money, but you become this professional, like, acetite or hypocrite, and you, you, you love yourself in the professional world, but when, but when you go home or when you're dining with your friends at work and none of them are black, you have nothing to talk about because you just need to talk about your issues, but they can't relate to you, so you can't talk about it. So what do you talk about? You just stay silent, right? God, that is so true. Wow. Ah, that is so much to unload. Mm-hmm. I really want to pause there, I guess. Yep. God, I love this. Yep. We're going to be able to combine all of this so it just flows co- cohesively. Yeah. It's going to be really good. A lot of these questions, I've actually, they're very, like, Common. personal. Yeah, they're very, like, personal and like happened to me. So, yeah, that's that's why it's, like, Phew. Yeah. yeah. And, it's like, very... these, these conversations are so incredibly therapeutic yeah. because... Yeah. You know, you're really able to educate each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and find commonalities in our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Lighting? Yeah, because it's starting to get dark. Oh, you guys are so prepared. I love this. Yeah, we also have the softbox in just case. It's just like the glare and stuff. No, 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 no. This is great, man. I I just love This is great. Yeah? (laughs) This is like amazing. (laughs) (laughs) He likes it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is so good. Yeah. Continue? Yeah. Wait, pause. Because I just want to figure out where I want to go from here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, let's figure out. Because I want you to still be able to give some poetry. Uh, Right now, we're at an hour and 23 minutes. Typically, the episodes are around like an hour, 37 minutes on average. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But obviously, like, it depends on how the conversation goes. Mm -hmm. like, the conversation we had with there's Kingston. A, there's another thing, too. Like, do you think we could, like, split these up into, like, multiple episodes? Because, I mean, like, if you think about it, if we, if we upload something on, like, YouTube, and it's, like, over an hour, 40 minutes long. That's why we were thinking yeah. of doing, like, maybe 20, 30 minutes so they're yeah. able to go to the podcast and yeah. see the full mm -hmm. episode and really be invested, okay, but, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, so let me think. Let me think. God, this is so good. This is so fulfilling for me. <laughs> yeah, this is great. You are so good. Man, I've got praise you. I, I tried that. I mean, you have, you have really good questions, so, you know. How are you feeling? <laughs> really, really good. Um, I, I, feel like, I feel like of late I've actually needed a space to sort of talk about these things. So I yeah. feel like this is like a really, really good... Yeah. Um, creative space so yeah i feel i feel amazing this is great thank you yeah, yeah it's great I, I i i really tried here to make it comfortable yeah like this is like, like i feel like i'm lounging like yeah, <laughs> really it's cool. just so easy so yeah. uh satisfying mm -hmm. these conversations to say the least are just like satisfying yeah and i i you are so incredibly knowledgeable i am so it's it's so fulfilling to be able to ask you these hard questions mm -hmm. and you give such thorough incredibly elaborate answers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so and i personally have a question because like ever since two years ago you know going back to the symposium yeah. this new term has been introduced heavily in regards to you know rectifying just like the black community this idea between uh, uh, this idea around diversity equity and inclusion do you mm -hmm. understand what that is or do you know what it, its significance is i yeah i mean I, that that term is used all over the place these days i mean yeah. it, it's, it's used per, it's used definitely in professional circles but it, yes. it is also used in different ways in the child welfare circle yes um yeah but 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 i think i think it means different things to different audiences um and i think w when you're talking about the child welfare audience i think that we definitely share i mean diversity is everywhere we definitely share a sense of inclusion because a lot of us are you know sh just share similar experiences and mm -hmm. different backgrounds but definitely sh similar experiences and you know we we go you know before COVID, like we, you know, we went to, you know, probably similar events and we, you know, yeah. we, we, we meet and sympathize and empathize with a lot of, you know, you young people who are in care like we are. Mm -hmm. um, and so we share that. But this, the, the idea around equity, because before right. it was equality, right. but now it's a matter of practicing equity mm -hmm. and um, finding equitable solutions like these are very new terms that is yeah. now really being introduced into the workplace to agencies and i'm trying to figure out its significance for a couple of reasons one i'm not sure if you've heard but there has been some allegations going on in regards to some agencies with internal racism mm -hmm. and um, really like harassment and just like malpractices inside certain agencies mm -hmm. and it's really kind of brought these terms have been brought heavily being able to create new policies right. um for human resource purposes and stuff and to really ensure the safety of individuals culturally mm -hmm. and so like why like what's the difference between 
equality and equity and why is it so <laughs> important? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's kind of, is that like a philosophical, no, that, that, philosophical that, that, question or something? It is or? a little bit, but, but I think it's a very socially um, balanced, like it's, it's a question that, that, that has to be, two, two, those two terms have to be defined in, in social circles uh, okay. because it, it, it does apply to everyone, especially the equity piece. E- equality is not applicable to, to, I mean, it's applicable to everybody, but when you say the notion of equality is not necessarily mm-hmm. best uh, because, w- w- you know, w- whenever you talk about equity and inequality, usually you're applying that to people of a certain demographic or, I mean, all demographics. Um, but the goal usually is to prioritize, uh, you know, like, for example, when you say, oh, you know, equality and fairness, what you're saying is, you know, everyone should get a, a fair chance and everyone should be, like, you know, equal and, you know, equal in society. When in reality, that's, that 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 is a, a notion that we'll never be able to, to reach, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and to be able to reach that in general, you'll have to almost, like, reprogram and retrain people in general um, mm-hmm. as to how to think of everyone as yes. the same. And yeah. no one's really the same. The same, exactly. Uh, so, so, so you, you're going to have to systematically change a whole bit. So that that's not that's not. Now, when it comes to equity, um, equity is addressing people or addressing um, things in their proper perspective. Okay. So, okay. you know what that means, for example, is okay. You know, uh, building more um, sort of you know machines or biomedic whatever the case may be like bioengineering um products that cater to for example you know people who are uh who are um disabled or whatever like that's equity because you're catering yeah. to that demographic yeah. or you're like so 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 basically you're 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 you know if you design a system you have to think about how is it safe and how is it um, usable and accessible to all audiences. Mm-hmm. That's where equity comes in. So that's attainable because if you think about a system like the Shonze Society, which caters to all different kinds of demogra- demographics, and the Shonze Foundation, which last year became the Shonze Foundation of Canada, yeah. where you have a lot of young people who are left out, like in Winnipeg or in, and certain certain parts of Canada that are left out of the conversation when it comes to finances and scholarships and things like that. Mm-hmm by expanding their sort of network, they're making it, you know, more equitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, not completely equitable, more equitable for those young people. Mm-hmm. So that's an equitable process. So, you know, and, and then you think about, like, policies and stuff and, and, uh, and, and you know, how, how you can rewrite policies or update policies to sort of reflect how different groups are treated within societies. That's equitable. Yes. But in terms of equality... Uh, it's it's less attainable in that sense because no two things are really really equal. No one's really equal. Yeah. Um, and if you keep sort of um, reinforcing that notion that that, yeah. that that of equality, yeah. I think it. I think you automatically um, yeah. segregate or or, or, exactly. or almost neglect certain audiences. Yeah, it's like, almost this idea between like uh, like equality and justice. What is yeah. just? And I remember seeing yeah. like this visual of like, oh, um, people with like, th- somebody was trying to like view, mm-hmm. let's say the stars mm-hmm. at night and there's like a wall. And then equality is just like having books, all the same number of books at the same playing field, but people yeah. with different heights. So right. some people could see above, some people can't, and some people get more than necessary, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then equality is everybody's able to see at the same 
or not equality, sorry, justice mm-hmm. is being able to see everything right. equally, and at least the stars or whatever. Like, they, that was, like, a beautiful visual and right. very poetic. The same vantage point, right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, wow, this is such a good conversation. Yeah, this, <laughs> so, this is spicy right here. <laughs> so spicy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is great. And so, yeah, I, I think we really did talk about, like, so many things. We talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about segregation. We talked about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. we talked about mentorship mm-hmm. we like think about everything in which we've really been able to hit in this one conversation right right this is actually like what i really hope to achieve with these um with this organization as a whole and i think with time as i've been really trying to formulate this podcast and have more conversations i've started to realize that this is really a um useful for so many reasons first of mm-hmm. all being able to connect youth mm-hmm. to other youth of mm-hmm. course being able to identify a lot of issues yeah. um and then being also being able to collect data and use this for research right. and stuff right. and so there's to be able to layer what we hope to do is to really use the the knowledge in which we acquire from all of these conversations that we have with such insightful use and i hope that i'm able to really engage with you a lot more mm-hmm. um after today's conversations that for you're sure. able to come back maybe for like because we're planning on um doing like a round table discussion maybe yeah. after the first season yeah, yeah. and stuff and we really want to be able to provide consultation and training programs and go mm-hmm. back to the agencies mm-hmm. to really be able to support them and help them, um, help train them, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And create a standardized, almost, uh, you know, training program across provinces. Yeah, that's and a so, good idea. Yeah. 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 Thank you. First of all, God bless your soul. Thank you so much, Troy. <laughs> God bless your soul, too. <laughs> like, um, you are so poised. You are such... You honestly are, like, an, such an inspiration to me, right? Like, you are... Oh, God. I want to have your brain I mean, you're, and no, your knowledge. <laughs> you're, you're also an inspiration as well. I think, I think you've done... Um, uh, so, as she needs to mention, like, you know, we met through mentoring, and, and I think... I think you know, you, I remember that when you said you were studying neuro, neuroscience or whatever, yeah. and I was like, whoa. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to get that degree um, at McMaster University at psych- yeah. um, uh, for psychology, neuroscience, and behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, and maybe like in a master's of public policy, but it's not about me. It's not about me, right? <laughs> to be honest, I'm probably going to be school forever. Um, <laughs> but like you have like, you know, one thing that, like, I really admire about you is just, like, your work ethic. Mm. Like, you're finished school now, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. For me, I'm going to be in school forever, you know? Like, the first, I'm not even going to lie, like, the first year was really difficult for me because I had a really bad injury. Right. Um, so, it has delayed me a little bit. But I'm okay. McMaster, I've really been able to use that as a tool to heal mm-hmm. from my experiences with the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Something that they mm-hmm. weren't able to necessarily do for me. Yeah. Which is okay. Um, but you know, it, it, it's kind of just like, at, at least I was able to find myself in a space and where I could start to heal and really reflect on my experiences. Right, right, right. And so, um, uh, I want to really now give you the floor, really. I want you like, um, anything in which you feel like. Um, it's really significant or important that you mm-hmm. want to relay back to foster kids in general, mm-hmm. you know, an important message or anything along those lines. The floor is yours. 
Awesome. I mean, yeah. So for me, I guess I would say uh, what one one important theme that uh, I want want to emphasize, which I think was kind of helped to sort of thread this th- thread this along, is is education. Uh, for for me, that mm-hmm. was always a huge thing, and I'm gonna give a sort of a, a story to maybe to close this. Okay. Um, I like that. When when I was in uh, high school, um, all all I wanted to do was was go to Ryerson University and study mechanical engineering. It's all I wanted to do. In grade 11, I was talking about it. Grade 12, I was talking about it. It's all I wanted to do. Um, and I got in. Um, and what happened was uh, I got in, got the acceptance letter. I got it I got it on February 29th. It was a leap year that year. It was 2008 or 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So early acceptance, amazing. I was on the moon. Um, but then I, but then unfortunately that got revoked, uh, because, uh, my, I think my average had fallen, uh, after my, like after the, you know, you get the report card, I think in January and after that it fell like 1%. So I fell, essentially I lost by 1%. And that was like the most, at that time it was like the most, and, and, and this was a time for me when I didn't think I was good at anything at all. Um, to your to your question before, right? Like I didn't think I was like, oh, okay, this is the one thing I'm good at, and now it's gone, right? So that was for me. It was a really, really emotional. Uh, it, it was an emotionally difficult time, um, and for two weeks I was just in bed, didn't do anything, depressed, yeah. whatever. Um, it was after that point that I discovered uh, poetry, mm-hmm. and started to to process all of these things that happened to me in care and just just process i processed for that two weeks like just everything that i didn't really get to that that you know that was kind of weighing me down for a long time fast forward to now um i i i, tu- I got into tutoring t- in school to motivate myself to learn i'm very passionate about learning started tutoring science started doing math started doing chemistry uh write wrote poetry got in front of audiences faced my fears you know, speaking in front of me, like I wouldn't be able to do this before, mm-hmm. um, you know, graduated from Ontario Tech University in biotechnology. All that to say, um, you know, education is important, but always believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like young people should always believe in themselves. Um, and don't just look at, like I know it's difficult now with COVID and the fact that it's difficult to connect with people physically and, and socially, but... Um, Always try to figure out what makes you tick and mm-hmm. don't be ashamed because of what people think to live up to that standard. Yeah. Like you should have your own standard, standard. like yeah. always. Before, I didn't have, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't have my own standard. I didn't know who I was. Um, and you're going to go through adversities. And so as not to make that one adversity just tumble you to the point where you just can't get up from it. You have to be resilient enough to understand that things are going to happen and it doesn't make you a bad person, person yeah. per se. It just means that you're learning and growing and that you're, you're making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just fail, fail forward. Fail forward. And this is almost like a therapy session for me. <laughs> Honestly, like yeah. I could go to bed and just feel so at peace with myself after this. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Oh, no. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. And it doesn't even end here. That's the beautiful thing. Now we get the dessert. 
and um, Troy has agreed to actually share some of his poems with us, and we get the honor to almost like see that beautiful artistic side of him, the creative side of him, and um, I'm excited, and I hope you are too. So stay, stay tuned for that, and um, I'm I before. I guess we close off. I do really want to encourage everybody to please, please like and share this podcast, especially this episode, promote and support Troy and all of his initiatives and whatever he is doing, you know, pay him a million dollars. I don't care. <laughs> like, um, but most importantly, spread the awareness around the importance of these conversations. Social workers, please spread it with your colleagues. Um, please give this to your supervisors and tell them to reach out to us to have these conversations about, about the vital importance of collaborating with youth to be able to see permanent progression in mm -hmm. um you know uh, solutions to a dysfunctional system and for the youth please connect with each other please connect with us if you do need support and help we have resources on our website in which you could access including the mentorship cheers mentorship program will be on there as well mm -hmm. um and any other organizations um we're in this together you know, and I think the best way in which we will be able to see wholesome healing and um, success and progression in a lot of kids and care is if we come together, if we don't yeah. work separately, but um, we unite and we unify um, to, uh, in, you know, in order to be able to come up with more productive solutions to this dysfunctional system and mm -hmm. to work with youth on an individual basis yeah. and so yeah we are obviously i am a part of cheers program as well so this is already a strong collaboration um a bunch of other community programmers thank you so much and uh, please stay tuned for our next episode but don't go away just yet up next troy elston elston or elliston 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 <laughs> If success is a straight line, mine's crooked. Like the bending of a corkscrew or the winding of a helical staircase, my life is full of stepping stones. The ones that I tripped over so far shapes the way I look at problems, though oftentimes I tend to question the solutions I came to, no solvency, just silliness. The expenses accrue from university tuition and textbooks tell the story of a young black professional almost on his way to becoming a creditor when the debt pays off, but you would never know unless I spoke it first. You asked for a story, so I'm giving you the story of a guy who uses spoken words to paint pictures on a blank canvas. If the colors matter to you like they do to me, you would ignore the empty white spots and focus on connecting the dots everywhere you see color. My success is freckled with tons of blemishes that I can't explain. You see, we're all chasing something, and I'm chasing greatness. Would you believe that seven years ago I was fighting to keep the promises to my parents while struggling to satisfy student fees on campus? I almost recanted my vision of becoming an academic. Third year. Biological science. I was standing in the corridors when the thoughts came. Temptations to drop out of science and comply with the voices left me in my head paranoid. Suddenly, school seemed difficult. But who's to say that I was wrong? Note to self, never underestimate a physics course before it starts. Note to self, never overestimate your assumptions before you end the course. I mean the journey, not the subject. My assumptions of a future full of success and accomplishments became eclipsed by a new challenge. Whew. Nothing physical. 
all mental. You see, he was a young black skinny kid. He was talented, but talented, but lacking confidence. Unsettling thoughts in him provoked enough energy to form the root of anxiety to sprout enough fear in his mind to keep him from trying anything. And at times, all things. Ask the skinny kid how he did it. I used to stay up past sunset, study chemistry, calculus, mathematics. This iced coffee addict ran on less than four hours of Z's and the caffeine still couldn't compensate, but he was motivated beyond capacity. I was told that sometimes you have to do more than the average soul to move forwards. So I tried to bite off more than I could chew. Perhaps only to suffer choking afterwards. My own success left me gagging. Weak from the agony of missioning to Scarborough and back to the west side. In my second year, I would sign up for the opportunity to tutor in, in the daytime and make more money. He wasn't struggling financially, but mentally. A sound mind confederate exists toggling apprehensions of a future full of tension for the failure of a subject he will conquer on the notion that tutoring his peers made him better. And at the end of each semester, he was hooked on the notion that he could learn anything, especially mathematics, the complex patterns in algebra and trigonometry that once escaped his mind he could now capture without calculation unless otherwise proven to intercept progress. His lessons from failure drove him to pour his heart into the minds of young people and teach them, if anything, the inconclusive nature of failure defies the reason to quit so he keeps climbing the staircase to, set, to step over setbacks and in the process. Bills and intolerance to pain. You see, I am a performer. Life welcomes me and I perform and now I endure the pressure of changing not to conform to the craziness of social media but to spin my bedroom into a cocoon for transformation and transformative working but isn't it incredible? How I remain transformed in the process yet unchanged and rooted through and through it seems to prove my resilience in a pandemic I was planted properly. Working from home at RBC in an ecosystem of talent where I sit under the tutelage of mentors in case you're wondering. My next play I am a black chess piece waiting to be handpicked, prodded, and pushed into the next space available for this young black professional to check me on his dream job. My first paycheck dated back to March 31st. And I remember the feeling I deserved when it came. I remember the desire to spend some. I remember the desire to save. So to be safe, I ended up saving some. It seems my economic goals, once imaginary, have intertwined themselves with time and transformed into letters and numbers to feed my once empty bank account. And now they live here and I live here and I live to learn. In fact, you can basically say I'm a lifelong learner, learning lonely, growing slowly. This lonesome experience lends itself to the practice of discipline and time management. Even my debt is on borrowed time. And how ironic. The same one who paid attention in school is the one who gets paid to draft emails for mail merge. The same guy who drops metaphors for microphones. Thank God I never dropped out of school. Because if I did, well, I couldn't testify. Some mistakes are irreversible. Don't question it. Just take it from me. If you have made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Please support us by liking and sharing our content and support the youth that come onto our show. So you've just gotten insider information from the outsiders and we hope in some way you found a home in us. We will see you next time, but until then, take care.